Well, thank you so much. Birthdays are pretty special in the Hardy household, and we've been celebrating now 29 years, praise God, and um, we're so delighted that we can celebrate with you. So thank you for remembering Weston's birthday. We appreciate that. Take your Bibles today. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we are today. Isaiah chapter 6. And um, we're asking this question in this series, how's your prayer life going? So I want to say that again. How is your prayer life going? What's your prayer life like? You know, my hope and prayer is that through this series, you have increased your prayer life, you have raised your temperature, and you have, um, you have um, just sensed the presence of God in more intimate and personal ways as you've spent time with the Lord. We've, we've gone through uh, three messages so far, and uh, the very first one, we looked at uh, Jesus' way of praying. Most of you probably know the Jesus way of praying. He prayed the Lord's Prayer. It was a model prayer that he gave to us. It was a way for us to reorient our lives to him first and to our needs second. The first part of that prayer was all about hallowing his name. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just could I just tell you, if you didn't get anything else out of this, out of this message series, my hope and prayer is that the Lord's Prayer would be precious to you and real to you and that you would see prayer as something so powerful. And then we looked at David's prayer in Psalm 139 where he prayed, search me, O God. Remember that sermon? We talked about how God knows everything about us. He knows where you sit, where you stand. He knows where you are. He, you can't run from God. There's no place on earth you can go. God knows you. And at the very end, he was saying, you know, he felt like he was under an indictment. And he felt like God saying, you know, you know, God, you know the truth about me. Search me if there's anything that's wrong within me, anything that is not of you. Would you show it to me? And God did that. And my prayer is that you would pray prayers of search me. Last week, we looked at Moses' prayer. And that was a prayer where we prayed, Lord, show us your glory. Show us your glory. May your glory should be shown in our lives. So this week, our prayer is a prayer that um, we're going to finish this series, Isaiah's prayer, which was, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. So much of our time in prayer, unfortunately, um, we find ourselves praying for ourselves. We signed, last week we talked about intercessory prayer, that we pray for others. But I think some of the most dangerous prayers is when you say, God, I'm available to you. I'm available to you. Send me wherever you want to send me. That is a dangerous prayer. And one that sometimes people don't want to pray because they're concerned that God will send them to Africa. Or they'll send them to Oildale. Or they'll send them to Los Angeles. Or they'll send them across the street to their neighbor. Or they'll send them someplace that they're not so much wanting to go. Like Jonah. Remember Jonah? God said, I want you to go. And Jonah said, what? No, I'm not. I'm going the opposite direction. And you remember Moses, he's, Moses called um, to Moses to do his job, and he said, no, I'm not equipped to do that, Lord. I don't know how to do that. I, there's no way I can do that. And we can come up with so many excuses of why we shouldn't do what God has called us to do. But when you pray that prayer, here am I, Lord, send me. 
Here am I, Lord, send me. You are opening your life up to a dangerous adventure, one that you never, ever thought you could imagine. I've shared this story before with you. Back in the, in the year 2018, I was serving as a district superintendent in the state of Michigan. And uh, my, one of my responsibilities was to help churches in transition. They were in transition from one pastor to another. And so it was probably like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. I drove down to a place called Redding, Michigan. Redding, Michigan is on the southern border of Ohio. So if you know your map, you got Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania. Right on the southern border of Ohio, there's a little town called, called, um, called Redding. And I've got a picture here of Redding. It is um, in the year 1900, by the way, they had a population of 1,096. In the 2020 census, the population was 1,094. Okay? Nobody goes to Reading. Okay? Nobody moves there. There's not much of, a, of an income. The, the median income in Redding, Michigan is about $22,000 a year per household. It's a very poor community. There's no industry there. It's like a railroad town that used to be that the train you to go through there. But basically, there's nothing there. But we have a Nazarene church there in Redding, Michigan. And that, ten, that church was going through a transition. They had had a pastor, and it was my job to help them find it. And so I went and met with those folks. It was a, I got another picture here. Here's the church right here. It's not a bad little church. It actually looks nice on Google Maps. You wouldn't like to go into it, but it looks really good from above. It smelled. It was old. It was, it was needing of an upgrade in so many ways, and it would dwindle down to less than 15 people. And all of them were Moses' children. <laughs> they were old. And they said to me as, their, as the new district superintendent, they said, you've got to find us the best and brightest and most fantastic pastor to help us reach people for Jesus here in Redding, Mass in Redding Michigan. I was like, okay, we want somebody like Billy Graham, please. We want somebody who has an incredible personality, who preaches the word, who can help us reach new families for Jesus Christ and re-energize this church back to where it want to be. And I said, okay. And I remember leaving that, that meeting. It was probably 10 o'clock at night, getting in my Ford Explorer and driving back home. And I said to the Lord, who in the world am I going to get to come to Reading, Michigan? God, there is nobody. Now, you have to understand, I had transitioned in three, two, three years, 35 churches in new pastors. 35 churches transitioned. And most of the time, I had zero resumes. In other words, I didn't even know who I was going to get for the open churches. There wasn't a lot of people lined up. And most of the college graduates and seminary graduates weren't looking to go to Reading, Michigan. So I said to the Lord as I got into the car, God, who's going to go here? Why do you give my, we got to close this church. I mean, we don't need a church in Reading, Michigan. 
And as honestly as I can say, I heard the Lord say this. What if I called you, Kevin? What if I called you? Would you go? I said, Lord, that's a really good thing. There's got to be somebody out there that wants that job. And so I began the, the journey. The Lord shut me up real quick because I was kind of complaining. You know, I was kind of bickering. I was kind of like. <laughs> and the Lord called a guy from Germany. True story. I got a call the next morning on the telephone from a guy who was my classmate at Eastern Nazarene College over 20 years ago. And he went in the military, he was serving in Germany, and then got a call to ministry, and he found his wife, and he stayed right in Germany, and served the Lord as a pastor in Germany, and he had gotten to the place where he felt like he wanted to come home. He wanted to come back to the United States. And I said, Phil, I've got the church for you. <laughs> and you know what? Phil was so excited, and those people were so excited. They fixed up the parsonage for him. They got him all ready. We helped that church get ready for them. And that pastor came and pastored that church in Reading, Michigan. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Is that the kind of prayer life you have? Do you have the prayer life that says, God, wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do, I am willing. I am available to you. Or do you have prerequisites? Do you have this little, this little picture of what you will do for God? And if it doesn't fit your model, then you're not available. God uses people that are available to him. And when you are available to him and you pray that dangerous prayer, send me. He knows you. He knows your personality. He knows your gifts. He knows your story. And he knows the beginning and the end. He knows all things. And therefore, he can use you to do significant things for his glory if you will make yourself available. Here am I, Lord. Send me. So, What's behind this prayer? What's behind this prayer? Because there's a lot to this prayer, more than just the little piece I gave to you. Let's read together in Isaiah chapter 6 together. Stand with me as we read through verse number 8. I'm not so sure why this thing is blinking, but it's probably driving you crazy. Just ignore it, okay? Just... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand 
which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Father, thank you for your word today. Now help us to understand what you really meant by here am I, send me. We love you. Thank you for this dangerous prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's four things that I want you to see behind this prayer. The first one is simply this. I want you to see the awareness of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. You will notice there in the very first scripture, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the king. He had been a long king. He had been a very successful king. He had brought the nation of Israel to a place of, um, of, of great prosperity but somewhere along the way, we learn over in 2 Chronicles that, that, that King Uzziah had come to the place where he no longer trusted the Lord. He no longer depended upon him. He, was, he had done so well, and the nation he was leading was doing so well, that he got to feeling like it was all about him. He was self-sufficient. And his people forgot about God. His people were no longer relying on the Lord. And so when the scripture says here in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says in the year the king died, it was a significant year. It was a significant year politically. It was a significant year for a transition of power. Just like is there a transition from one pastor to another in a church or one president to another president or one king to another king. This is a time of uncertainty. It's a time where you don't know who's in charge. And the scripture tells us that it wasn't until four years later that they got a new king. So for four years they had a nation without a king. And the scripture says Isaiah was going to the temple. Now it doesn't tell us how often Isaiah was going to the temple. But most scholars believe that Isaiah was going to the temple on a regular basis. He would go just like you would go to church. He would go and participate in sacrifices and prayers. He would go and worship the Lord. And on this occasion, something amazing happened. Something that he did not expect. He saw the very presence of the Lord. Now, could I just say to you, God is here right now. Amen? And there are times when you'll come to church and it'll just be routine. We sing some songs, we say some prayers, we take an offering, we have announcements, we have a message, you know, the preacher prays his last prayer and we leave and we go home and we say, oh, that was a nice service. Boy, that was so nice. And there's other times you'll come to church and you'll go, wow, God showed up. Not like God didn't show up in those other times, but, but something happens to you. Something that instead of you just knowing that God is here, you are aware of God's presence. You're aware of his voice. You're aware of, his, of, his, of the Holy Spirit that's present there. And the scripture says on this occasion, Isaiah is almost 
blown away by the very presence of the Lord. The king had died. It was a time where he was probably going to the temple. He was probably a little bit more aware of a need for God because of the transition in what was happening in the nation. And the scripture says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. The king left his throne and died. The Lord is now seated on a throne. Now the Lord has been seated on that throne even when King Uzziah was on the throne. But now that the king was dead, it was an awareness that there was the Lord was on the throne. And the scripture says he was high and exalted. He was, he was, he was there on his throne and it was high and exalted. And the scripture says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine the robe that kind of wind through the entire temple, around through the entire church? And the whole robe was there. And the scripture says that they were, they were, they, the, as they were seraphims, which were like, which were like biblical angels or spiritual beings that were there, and they had six wings. Two of the wings covered their faces, two covered their feet, and two were there flying. Now, some people try to figure out what that was. We're not really sure. Some people say they were like human-like with six wings. Some say they were not even human-like at all. But no matter what they were, you know what they were doing while they were there? The scripture says while they were there, they, they were calling to one another and they were saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now remember last week, Moses was praying, show me your glory. Remember that? And the Lord said, if I showed you my glory, you'd be dead. So I'm going to hide you behind my, the cleft of my hand, and I'm going to pass in front of you, and you're going to be able to see my back. But I'm going to show you my glory, but I'm not going to show you all of my glory. And some believe that maybe, maybe uh, Isaiah was transported into a trance and he was actually in the very heavens where God was. Some believe it was actually in the temple. I'm not really sure which one it was because I wasn't there and you weren't there. And we can speculate on what the scripture doesn't say. But the scripture clearly says that he heard these angelic beings, these seraphs, that were saying over and over again, holy holy, holy. And they were crawling out to one another. How many they were in Revelation that said there were thousands upon thousands of these that were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times, not once, not twice, but three one writer says this idea of holy was that, that God was revealing his perfection, his moral purity, his absolute um, um, beauty and all of its glory at that moment in time. And they are just praising him and praising him around the temple. The throne room of God is a busy place. The king's angelic attendants are seraphim, which means something like burning ones. They are living flames of pure nuclear-powered praise. I love that phrase. Nuclear-powered praise. 
24 hours a day, 365 days a year, for all of eternity, these seraphims are doing nothing but praising God with every ounce of their being, singing his praises and singing how holy and wonderful he is. Nuclear-powered praise. I was thinking this week, what do I know that's nuclear-powered? The only thing I could think of was aircraft carriers in the United States Navy. Do you know that an aircraft carrier in the United States Navy, by the way, we have 11 of them. There are 13 nuclear-powered aircraft carriers in the world, and the United States Navy has 11 of them. And each of those nuclear-carried carriers have enough fuel to fuel them without having to be refueled for over 30 years. That's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? There are over 80 fighter jets on each of those aircraft carriers. The United States Navy is a powerful force. China's got nothing over us, by the way, folks. But you know what? God has nuclear-powered praise that's happening for all of eternity that are singing praise to his name. And Isaiah, he's in the, he's in the throne room, he's in the temple, and he's like, wow! He is blown away. As he sees the marvelousness of God. And the scripture says, <clears throat> at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. In other words, God had to keep Isaiah from seeing all of his glory. Because it filled the temple in such a powerful way. There's the awareness of the holiness of God. Could I just say to you, when you're aware of God, you are much more open to saying, here am I, Lord, send me. When you realize that God is calling you and God is speaking to you, sometimes you'll go to the ends of the earth to do what God's called you to do. But some of you, maybe you're sitting on your rear ends and you're doing nothing for God because you aren't seeing God. You need God to show up and open your eyes and help you to see. The second thing I want you to see is the awareness of your sinfulness. Because look at Isaiah's response. He said, woe to me. Woe to me. In other words, he was saying, I, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognizes, even though he's a prophet, he recognizes his own sinfulness in light of the holiness of God, but he also recognizes he's no different than the rest of the people in his own nation. He's just like them. He has no leg to stand on. He says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So many people say, I'm not useful to God because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I've messed up too many things in my life. I've, I've just wrecked some things in my life. 
I've done drugs, I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've been, inf- I've been, I've been uh, unfaithful to my spouse, no matter what it is. And you think that God is not able to use you. Well, when you recognize that the holiness of God there and you say, Lord, I am sinful, you are on the steps of entering into God's usefulness because you're aware of your need of him. The Bible tells us over in 1 John, it says this, here is a trustworthy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Look what Paul said, of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. Paul recognized that he was not worthy to be called to be used by God. He realized that Jesus Christ had saved him and redeemed him. And that's exactly what happens to Isaiah because he becomes an awareness of God's grace. An awareness of God's grace. It says, then one of the seraphs flew, just one of them, goes over to an altar and he picks up a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from an altar. This was red hot. This was steaming. And he takes this and he begins, goes over, and he touches the lips of Isaiah's lips. And it's signifying that God had forgiven him of his sins, but not only did he forgive him, he cleansed him. He sanctified him. He made him holy. Remember in the, in the New Testament, as the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost, it falls as tongues of fire. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he sanctifies us. He cleanses us. He purifies us. He radically changes our lives from just, not only just forgiving us of acts of sins, but he cleanses us from the need and the desire and the, and the motive of sin in our life. And he goes and he touches Isaiah And he sanctifies him. And he says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He is now ready for service in the kingdom of God. He has been forgiven of all of his sins. He has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has been sanctified through and through, through the the cleansing power of God, through the symbol of this coal that was put on his lips. He was was sanctified through in a powerful way. Just like John says to us over in 1 John, it says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Is there a known sin in your life? God's not going to use you if you're living in sin. God's not going to use you. He's not even going to call you until you first of all come to the place where you have his forgiveness and his grace upon you and he sanctifies you and cleanses you through and through. Then what happens? He is ready to hear his call to mission. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, then I heard the Lord Not before, but then. After he recognized the holiness of God. After he became aware of his own sinfulness. And after the the coal touches his lips. 
He is then he is ready to hear what God wants him to do. By the way, that's why I intentionally put this dangerous prayer at the end of this series. It comes after search me, O God. It comes after show me your glory, O God. It comes us to the place where he says, send me. Which is sometimes the prayer that we don't want to pray. But he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will go for us? Who will go for us? Notice he says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who will go and speak on our behalf? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Notice Isaiah doesn't say, well, what do you need done? Can I get how long? How much is it going to cost me? What's the salary going to be? Where am I going? He says, I need you to go and speak for me. He doesn't tell him where or how yet. He says, are you available? And Isaiah what could Isaiah say? He's been in the very presence of God other than saying, you are sovereign, Lord. You are almighty. You are holy. Who am I even to say anything other than, God, I'm available. You have forgiven me and cleansed me of all my sin. My sins have been atoned for. What else could I possibly do? But to do what you've called me to do. And he said, go and tell his people. Now, what we didn't read in chapter 6 of Isaiah is what Isaiah was sent to do. He was sent to preach. But he was sent to preach to a people who would not listen to him. To a people who would not obey. To a callousness of people that would push God's message away from him. It'd be like a missionary going to a foreign land to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were there for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and had no converts. They preached and preached and preached and preached and the more they preached, the less the people listened. Which, by the way, could I just tell you? That's the, that's the plight of every preacher. First of all, you forget 95% of everything you heard with by Monday morning. And second of all, it sometimes falls on deaf ears. But God tells Isaiah, I want you to go and I want you to preach, but you're not going to have any results. Sign me up, O oh God. Send me to Redding, Michigan, where there's 1,000 people who have lived in that town for the last 100 years. Where nobody's moving into the town and there's no new visitors coming. Send me to that place to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord for Phil Rigdon from Germany. If not, I wouldn't have been your pastor. I'd be pastoring in Michigan. <sighs> Do you remember this guy? John F. Kennedy. One of our few presidents that was assassinated 
And in 1961, in his inaugural address in Washington, D.C., on the Capitol steps, the very end of his speech, which, by the way, was one of the shortest inauguration speeches in presidential history. It was 14 minutes long. It was also minus four degrees that day. I watched the entire speech this week. You could see his breath just blowing as he spoke each word. In the very end of that speech, he said, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. It's probably the one line in that speech that has been, that has been quoted and used by every president since. Somewhere along their presidency. It's the call of service. It's the call of duty. It's the call of the citizens of a nation to step up, not to be served, but to serve. And other presidents along the way have started great movements. People have been called to wars. People have been called to serve in the military because they gave up what they wanted to do for the cause of something greater. This is the prayer that says, ask not what your God can do for you, ask what you can do for your God. Here am I, Lord, send me. Send me. And what does it really mean? It means that, first of all, you're saying God is calling you to serve. Lord, I will serve wherever you want me to serve. I'll serve in my church. I'll serve in the nursery, the two-year-old room. I'll serve with the teenagers. I'll serve in the kitchen. I'll serve in the, I'll serve in the, in the, in the highways and byways of com our community. I will serve you, Lord. Show me. You just show me where it is, and I'm available to you. It's God calling you not only to serve, but to share. There's some people in your life that you are the only Jesus they will ever know. You have relationships with them. You pray for them. But you shouldn't just be praying for their salvation. You should be also praying, Lord, how can you use me to reach them? To invite them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Invite them to your church. A lot of people want to pray for people, but do you want to walk across the street and have a conversation with your neighbor? Do you want to have a cup of coffee with your workmate? Do you want to be a vessel that taps somebody on the shoulder and says, come with me? I look at a guy like Les Piercy in our community. And some of you know Les from influencers. You know what Les does? He does nothing but tap guys on the shoulder and says, come with me on a journey. Come with me on a journey. Let me introduce you to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Well, you know what Isaiah said after he heard what he was supposed to do? Here's what Isaiah said to the Lord. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll go, but how long do I have to do this? How long do I have to stay in Reading? How long do I have to stay in Bakersfield? How long do I got to work with the teenagers? How long do I have to do children's ministry? How long do I have, Lord, to serve the homeless in, on Beardsley Street? How long, oh Lord? I mean, there's got to be a time limit to your calling, oh God.
You know what he said? What God said in response? He said, until the cities lie ruined with no inhabitants. Until the horse, the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away. God was going to bring his judgment upon that nation. The Assyrians were going to come and destroy them and exile the entire place. Isaiah's job was to close the church down. I want you to stay and be the last one standing because everybody else is going. Okay, Lord, sign me up. How many would you agree that that's a dangerous prayer? Here am I, O Lord. Send me. God didn't coerce him to do that. He willingly offered himself. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing this closing song together today, it's a powerful song. It really speaks my whole sermon for you. As we sing it together, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, you would be so courageous to make your way down to an altar and offer yourself and say, here am I, God. I'm available to you. Send me. That's all I'm asking. God's looking for some availability. And then when the opportunity comes, don't do what Jonah did. Step up. Amen? Stand with me, would you? God, thank you so much for your grace, for your word. We're praying this prayer, Lord, here am I, send me. We are aware that you are a holy God and that we are a sinful people. And we are grateful for your grace that sanctifies us and cleanses us and forgives us so that our guilt is gone and we are useful for your service. Send us, O oh God. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. If you want to pray today, come as we sing.